Luke, the youngest man to ever walk on the moon on Apollo 16. Fittingly enough, this is episode 216, so we got a 216 in there. At 36 years old and 210 days, you were the youngest man to ever walk on the moon and the 10th man to walk on the moon. And if anyone listens to Neil Armstrong Landing, you're the one that says Tranquility Base. You got a bunch of guys down here turning blue. We're breathing again. That's correct. Yeah, it was true too. Yeah, it's yeah, and I've, I've watched interviews with you where you talk about how you said uh, you were so nervous you said twang instead of tranquility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how are you? Yeah. <clears throat> how are you doing yeah, well, today, sir? Picture. I mean, that, that descent was probably uh, uh, I was probably more tense and uh, than I was when I actually landed on the moon. Really? Yeah. You know you. You're in mission control. You're listening to all this drama, and you you don't have any visual. You just looking. Well, the visual you have is a computer screen with a bunch of numbers, and you're watching trajectory, or you're watching this, or you're watching environmental control, whatever your job is. Well, Capcom sits there and sort of watches the trajectory and. Uh, and you listen to all this problem, and they well, we got a computer overload, and we got a data drop out, and and uh, so that all of that is tension is rising in the room because you know we got to get we got to pull this off. Yeah, it's first time. And, uh, anyway, then we had a trajectory problem, and then which caused. Neil will use a lot of extra gas and he gets over to a place where he can land and he's running out of gas. And so uh, that's why it was dead silence and mission control and just everybody glued to your screens. And But you're not seeing anything. You're just listening to this. And, and you know he's close to being on the ground, but uh, you know, he, he's not there yet. Yeah. So anyway, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's pretty tense, and whereas whereas if you when you do it and you're landing, you got all the cues. You got the visual cues outside. You got the motion cues in the spacecraft. You got all your instrumentation uh, that's telling you we're on profile. Plenty of gas, you know. And you get down, and you start blowing dust everywhere, and uh, well, we got it made. And so you just sort of you focus. You don't want to screw up the landing, but you don't. Uh, uh, you don't uh, uh, you don't get really tense like we did mission yeah. control. Yeah, it's. I thought the funniest thing was I watched an interview with you and uh, Mr. George Clooney, and he was talking about uh, about getting down to four percent fuel, the twelve oh one alarms, the twelve oh two alarms, and you started laughing. You said, even if even if we told him to stop, you said Neil would have kept going. He would have said, "Come again, NASA! I can't hear you. You're breaking up." You said he was he was landing. He was close enough to continue. He, he, made, he made the decision. We could have called an abort, but he said I'm, he could can say I'm, I'm continuing and uh, make that uh, make that decision himself. Yeah. And uh, so, but we had mission rules, and we were going to play by the rules. And we got to that four percent minimum. Uh, the propulsion in uh, cap, not Capcom, but the propulsion guy uh, would say. Four percent uh, uh, flight uh, abort, and so I'd wait to uh, 
in this case, Gene Krantz, uh, flight director, I'd say, well, you know, I'd look back at him. He was over my right shoulder and, uh, and, uh, and wait till he looked down and said, uh, abort. But I mean, that would, I'm, I'm explaining it, but that happens in seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we didn't have to call it. Like, yeah. Thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and then, yeah, it's, it's, I can't, I mean, I know I emailed you one of the questions and I, and it sounds so stupid and so simple, but to me, it's the one thing that kind of permeates through it all is, you know, you could ask, you know, what is it like, you know, to serve your country, to have the right stuff, uh, you know, beat the Soviets, fulfill Kennedy's wish. But there's something about it that like, I really can't put into eloquent words. And so I apologize if it comes off as simple, but what is it like to stand on the moon? I mean, just the, not as a not as a patriot, not as a, a guy that got through the application process, just as you, as an individual. W- what is that even like? Well, it's exhilarating. Uh, it's thrilling. You're in awe. Uh, it's uh, uh, exciting, uh, wondrous. Uh, all of those uh, emotions that you can have, as you can imagine, standing on a spot that uh, very few people had stood on. You don't think about that, but you do, you do think about, I'm on the moon, I'm on the moon. And and that excitement and the adventure and the wonder uh, of it just permeates the whole time you're on the, uh, the surface. It's a very... Uh, uh, moving experience, if you will, because you, you're you looking out at this landscape and you see these landmarks that you'd studied for yeah. two years, you know, and you and you felt right at home, and yet the hostile environment's there, but you don't think about that. It's just, I'm on the moon. Let's get to work. It just, yeah, I'm how hard how hard is it to work up there because you're up there and it's you know that's the most precious time there is but i feel like you just want to run around like a kid well we you can't run around like a kid i mean we we had a few few moments but mostly it was uh uh our checklist uh we could follow our checklist and mission control would urge us along uh they were following it all and so uh, each stop uh where we uh, where we did geology and we'd stop the car and we'd get out and we'd uh, get the antenna pointed up at the earth and so we'd start having TV and then we had a checklist of of, of, of activities that we had at each stop and so the focus was basically let's get all this done in the 20 minutes or whatever it was you, you had to do and so uh the focus was completing the checklist, if you will. And uh, sometimes, uh, like at uh, Plum Crater, which was the first stop on the, uh, after we ex- we deployed the uh, ALSEP, which is Apollo Lunar Surface Experiments Packages, which had five or six experiments, you know, magnetic experiments, uh, uh, a couple of, of uh, seismic experiments, mm-hmm. uh, those kind of things. 
then we got in the car and we drove uh, west about a mile and a half to this first stop, uh, Plum Crater. Yeah. And uh, so we had a checklist and we were getting it done. And um, then uh, as we were on the far side of the crater, you could see that in the pictures that we took, you could see the car on the other side of the crater. Mm-hmm. We were coming back to the to the rover. Uh, Mission Control uh, said, uh, "Pick up, pick up that rock." And uh, you could see the TV camera pointed at this rock right on the rim of this crater. And uh, <laughs> and I, I had a shovel in my hand, so I, I run over and I point that to it. That one, yeah, is that one? yeah, that one. Pick it up. I said it's the size of a watermelon or something <laughs> like that. It's a big rock. Yeah. Do you want a rock that big? Yeah, pick it up. Pick it up. So uh, then, uh, well, in a spacesuit, you just can't. The rock was you. You're standing here, yeah. and the rocks down here as the slope of the crater goes this way, and I couldn't bend over and reach it. So uh, I had to get around on the downslope side and get the rock up above me. And but that crater was steep, and I said, if I fall in here, you know, this crater, I knew I'd had it. Yeah, I couldn't get up done so i was very careful about it but it wasn't uh, i told uh Mulberger, bill Mulberger was our chief of our geology group there in the back room in mission controller his name was Mulberger, and i said tell Mulberger if i felt feeling fall in this crater you've had it and uh, so the rock was uh a big battle it really was the size of a small watermelon yeah so anyway, we named it Big Muley after him. <laughs> and so uh, uh, those are the kind of activities you do. And so Mission Control, they see something in, in through the TV camera, and, and and they're the scientists and the geologists, and they want you to – they see something that's unusual that they hadn't expected, and so you can modify the plan – and go do that for what they they want to do. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, uh, we we had trained at the, our uh, um, uh, our landing site was going to be two volcanic uh, flows that met in the in the Cayley Plains in mm-hmm. the valley, and we were to sample back and forth across this contact. Well, everybody said it was going to be volcanic, but. There wasn't any, and so we started describing these rocks, and uh, and I I can imagine they never said, but I can imagine what they were thinking was these guys. We've wasted six years of geology training, and you know they're not looking at, they're not seeing what we want them to see, and so finally we kept describing these rocks, and they they got real excited because none of the rocks on the moon that had been picked up prior to our flight was were like those. Okay. Totally different. And so and so they they got really excited about our landing site. It was a uh the highlands of the moon. Uh I think if if I remember correctly, Neil Armstrong, their landing was the closest to us in the Sea of Tranquility. Mm-hmm. And we were southwest of theirs landing site and we were eight thousand feet above in altitude of where they were. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of terrain difference in, on the lunar surface, and uh, 
so uh, that create creates different rocks. Uh, not only that, but just uh, the way the rocks uh, got there. So uh, sure. Anyway. Yeah, and then there's I've I've watched some of the videos, and yeah, one of them is you describing you guys want to do the Lunar Olympics, <laughs> and uh, the yeah, vertical. Yeah, it would be a joke. You know, we uh, uh, every flight uh, had something unique to close out their stay on the moon. And uh, Alan Shepard on Apollo 14, he hit a golf ball. Yep. He took a little head of a, a head of a five iron, I think it was, and had it fitted so it would fit onto the end of his handle that was it a shovel or rake or whatever and so he he took some golf balls and uh hit some golf balls and uh so on apollo 15 uh dave scott had a really unique experiment it was uh the hammer and feather newtonian and so will uh, the feather and the hammer hit the ground at the same time with the same gravity without an atmosphere and sure enough, they did. Yeah. And so we could decide, trying to decide what we wanted to do. And uh, so the thought occurred to us, well, it's the Olympics are going to be in Munich in 1972 in August. And why don't we just kick off the Olympic year with the Moon Olympics? And uh, we thought that was cute and uh, fun. And so we had, we had basically... It's hard to practice down here on Earth because you're in 1G, you know, and and with all of our equipment on, I weighed 363 pounds down here on Earth, and uh, so you can't jump very high. Yeah. But on the moon, uh, it's different—60 pounds up on the moon. And so we were going to do the high jump and the broad jump, and but we were—if you listen to the tape—we uh, were running behind, and mission control was. Uh, was pushing us along and uh and so uh i uh john said well we were going to do the moon olympics uh houston and so he starts to bounce and uh and then i started to bounce and uh he was maintaining his balance pretty good and he went up and i really jumped and went up and when i did i straightened up which is a big mistake because the backpack weighed as much as i did so yeah, the center of gravity went backwards, and I went backwards. And uh, you see me disappearing behind the rover. I'm scrambling like crazy. And uh, so, if people ask me, "Was you ever fearful?" I said, "Well, once." And that was when I got I had a uh, fear. Yeah. But fear is an emotion uh, that I think you can you when you have it, you could you can respond with panic, mm-hmm. which kills you usually, yeah. or you can respond with action. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so as I was going back, I got to do something. And uh, so the thought occurred to me, roll right. And so I started to roll right. And when I did, I landed on my right hand and my right leg, I bounced onto my back and uh and but man my heart was really pounding it was i mean i was uh, scary but i realized hey i'm still alive uh uh john came over and helped me up after giving me a scolding a little bit and uh so i got quiet and you could hear the pumps running and you could feel the oxygen flow coming over the 
top of your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we had a little instrument right on our chest called the RCU, which was a remote control unit. Okay. It had oxygen level, pressures, uh, water, all of the stuff for the backpack life support system. And everything read normal. And so uh, uh, I knew I was okay. And and then I looked up and a TV camera was pointed right at me. And uh, mission control has seen this stupid stunt. So they were very upset. My wife said that she was in the VIP area of mission control during this point. And uh, she said, man, they were really angry. And, uh, so that ended the moon Olympics. We never got to do the broad jump. <laughs> started and ended like that <laughs> yeah it's yeah I, I i another interview i watched with you he went yeah he came up to me and said charlie that wasn't too smart and he said no no it wasn't yeah, really, yeah. yeah. and yeah he got a great sense of humor and uh i mean he was concerned that way but he practically it was hey that wasn't very smart i said yeah right get me up and uh on your back up there, it's hard to get up by yourself because you got to sort of like a big whale turn get turned over, mm-hmm. and then you can get up. But John helped me up, and uh, so he he had the most fantastic balance up on the moon. I mean, he could he could jump up and do a split and come down and pick up a a rock or pick up a shovel or pick up whatever was on the surface. I tried that a couple of times and didn't even come close so I'd have to uh, get something else to help me to get up get pick up what was what was on the surface that I dropped hammer or whatever so uh, you can see me a couple of times trying I was driving on we call it a core tube it was mm-hmm. a hollow tube about the size of a silver dollar we pounded those into the surface for about a meter or three feet sure. And then we pulled them back out again, and it gave you a core sample down that depth. Well, as I was pounding on this thing with my hammer, I got tired. And I put it over the more. I mean, it's hard to grip something yeah. in that suit because yeah. your gloves are like this. And I was pounding and pounding. And I dropped the hammer. Uh, just flipped out of my hand. And, well, now I got to get it up. Well, I tried that split thing a couple of times that didn't work so i had to go over to the rover and get the we had this thing called the tongs uh-huh. it was about three feet long and you squeezed up at the handle and there's these uh-huh. two lamps went would close so i went over there and got that and and put it put it around the hammer and clamped it down and pulled it up and then picked it up so we had ways that we could uh uh that we could get around these uh, uh, inconvenient moments. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I was really surprised at was the dust. Okay. It was everywhere. And uh, it was so fine, it it got on your suit and you could not, we had a brush and everything, you could not brush it off. It just worked its way into this fabric, which was the tightest weave fabric, that beta cloth fabric that I, uh, that I had uh, ever experienced. And, yeah. uh, but if you look at the photographs, we started out looking like Mr. Clean. Uh-huh. 
And by the time the first EVA over, we from the waist down, we were we had turned gray. Yeah. And then sometime in the second EVA or so, the uh, I think what happened is I uh, was walking around the back, or it might have been John, and we and I we got tangled up with the rear right rear fender of the rover and pulled it loose, and so it came off. And uh, and mission control said that's okay, just just forget about it. So we started driving off, and this rooster tail was now raining moon dust down on us for the rest of the drive of the rover, and that complicated all of the yeah the uh, the mirrors on the uh, on the on the uh, uh, batteries. It got everything covered with moon dust, which changed the insulation uh, reflectivity mm-hmm. and all that stuff, and and it, and we got filthy yeah. and. Uh, so when that happened on Apollo 17, stop, stop, everybody, fix it. So we came up with this idea of using a checklist and a clamp and put made an artificial fender <laughs> for it, which, uh, which worked great yeah. for them. But we didn't think about it at first until we realized how filthy we were getting. Yeah. And, uh, I think in the future missions, uh, like uh, Artemis going to the moon, mm-hmm. hopefully this decade and landing, it's very important to have an airlock. Yes. Uh, you don't have probably a habitation module. You land in the, this lunar module, whatever it looks like, and uh, and then probably already assembled uh, remotely was this airlock thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a dome structure where you would actually spend two months. Yeah, and you don't want to track moon dust in and out of that for. Two months. I mean, it'd be, uh, it be. It stays on the ground, but it. I mean, just dust everywhere. And yeah. You keep it up, and it's going to fly up a little bit. And it's one six gravity, which it, environmental control system could pick up. So uh, a real big airlock uh, that would, so you could take your suits off, get in a constant wear garment, and walk into your habitation module without any uh, uh, moon dust on you. Would, will be a great advantage i think yeah it's that's because it's very dangerous to breathe in as well yeah real fine yeah well we got back into orbit uh we we had tracked a lot of dust in but it was on the floor and when we got back in orbit this dust just floats up everywhere it just fills the lunar module with its dust and man we were really shocked and uh, john says we can't take off our helmets and gloves because all that's going to be ingested Mm -hmm. into the primal control system and cause a real problem. So we stayed in our helmets and, and gloves and so and put the environmental control system on um, the, the suit loop. And uh, so when we got docked up, Magnally pulled out the, the tunnel and everything. And he looks into the lunar module and sees all this dust. He said, you guys not coming in here. And uh, so he floats over a, a little vacuum cleaner you know these yeah. battery power handheld deals and uh so we vacuumed up all that dust uh as best we could and then he let us come over and start transferring all the rocks and all of our experiments that we we're bringing back with us it's 
some things just permeate, I guess, different even celestial bodies. I mean, I think of being little and, you know, coming in with my brothers covered in dirt and mud. My mom saying, you're not coming in here. It seems that that permeates here and the moon. It's no same loss. You know, you stay out there and clean off in the mud room, right? Right. Yeah. It's so there, there, I watched several interviews uh, with you. I, I bought your I bought your book, but this interview ended up being much sooner than than expected. So I, I didn't have time to read it. But I did watch several interviews with you. And one thing that I thought was very interesting was um, was you talked about after the moon. You talked about coming back to Earth and, you know, what then? What, what one of 12 men? I mean, almost four times as many have been president. And what then? And you talk about working for NASA, going into sales, and, um, you know, maybe if I find money, I'll find peace. And I thought it was really a beautiful thing about your discovery of faith and and finding peace within that through your wife and through yourself and through uh, your relation with your two sons, which, by the way, Charles and Thomas, my dad's name is Charlie and has two sons, Charles and Thomas. So I thought that was kind of unique. It's a... Yeah, yeah. He's he's in sales. You're in sales. Pretty similar, except for the whole you know walking on the moon thing. But you know that little part. But I thought that was really interesting because it, I I got out of college in 2013 and I got into medical school. I ended up not going, but I remember the weirdest feeling of almost dread once I got in because I was like, what do I? I've been working towards this for so long, and then now even this podcast episode 216 i'm 30 years old you know my goal is to be bigger the biggest podcast in the world but i one thing i've been thinking is you know god willing what if it happens then what you know what 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 then when there's no more mountains to climb what what do you do and i loved your interview because you said finding faith and and you said that that peace lasts a lifetime and it, it the moon doesn't hold a candle to it and that that really helped me actually good that's great, Tommy. Yeah. That's true. Uh, that was my problem. A lot of us, I, I can't say all 12 of us, but a lot of us had that problem. You yeah. know, all was over, you know, and we climbed a yeah. ladder of success. We were all in We're our 30s uh, or early 40s. And what are you going to do now Yeah. Uh, to to keep this drive and this, this goal that you had? And so uh, uh, frustration just dropped into a lot of people. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one that stayed for a while was uh, John Young, my commander, and he, he he was just focused on on space, and uh, so he fulfilled his uh, role as a in management and uh, monitoring the space shuttle mm-hmm. and, and the first ones. And I worked on the shuttle for four years, but it it wasn't the same. It yeah. wasn't as dynamic to me. And, so uh, my wife and I believed in God. We'd go, we'd go into church and all of the roles that we had to uh, uh, accomplish in church. And, you know, we were respectful, nice, took our kids to church. And, and so we had this, quote, religion. Sure. We had no relationship with Jesus. Sure. And, uh, and so Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is peace. Yes. He will give us his peace if we just ask him and so my wife uh, if you heard that interview she was the one who came first in yep. 1975 actually on the verge of suicide yeah and, uh, and said I just, lord i've tried everything it's all about falling apart but i haven't tried you and uh, so we gave, she gave her life to jesus and uh, and i watched her change i mean yeah. it was dramatic uh 
couple of months, uh, she changed from sadness to joy. And uh, so uh, two and a half years later, I've been in business and uh, we moved to New Braunfels where we live now. And uh, and I was a successful businessman making a lot of money, but it was, it, it was just this, you know, boring, if you will. And uh, so I realized money wasn't answering. Friend of mine invited me to a Bible study. We were in church. Mm-hmm. Friend of mine invited me to a Bible study on TBRM, which is a conference center and tennis club here in the Broncos. And we went and that weekend, just changed my life. Uh, I listened for the very first time. I was listening to the Word of God, okay. and and it was who is Jesus from Revelation from Genesis to Revelations. It, it, folded out Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Savior, mm-hmm. uh, all of the words that you can name for what Jesus gives us uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so that weekend, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I experienced his peace, which I'd really been searching for. And uh, it was uh, tremendous. I sold my business, and I didn't have a job, and so I was reading the Bible just constantly. Yeah. Uh, three, four hours of the day. And so the Bible, I look back at the Bible, man, is God's handbook for life. It's a manufacturer's handbook. And as we read it and we apply those principles in the Bible to be a businessman, to be a father, to be a friend, to be a husband or whatever, uh, it, it it's instruction uh, that gives you a life that's filled with uh, peace joy the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and there's uh six more of those so, yeah. uh, and it's worked uh and so we such a dramatic change in our life that's why we like to go around the country and around the world sharing uh what we've discovered and it's available to everybody yes all you got to do is say that's what i want yeah and, uh, it's it it, it is it you know, I I grew up and I went to Catholic school for twelve years, and I, I moved away from that. I in college, being pre med, I turned very like militant science, you know, cold materialism. Uh, in two thousand fourteen, I lost my oldest sibling to suicide, and that threw me for a loop for several years. And I would say in the last year and a half to two years, I've not intentionally not not with direction not not forecasting it but i've found myself moving closer towards faith now faith and i'm i'm not sure what you know i'm i'm open to see where it leads me but it's i've slowly found myself i i meditate every day i've meditated every day for 12 years and i find myself more and more slipping into prayer and and having a much better day for it yeah. and and it I just remember thinking, I was like, okay, like not going to med school, trying to get this podcast to work. I was like, what do I do if it works and I'm not happy? And, and it seems like it just fell right into my lap is that interview with you. And I was like, okay, this guy walked on the moon. This guy, he has the best example. You cannot go to a higher mountain than that. And he overcame this. And it really felt like it just fell right into my lap. I was like, okay, if it worked with the moon, it will work with the podcast. And so I even even though it wasn't for me, I have to thank you for that interview. Um, 
I am. I told you I would let you go at thirty minutes, and we are at thirty-one minutes, so I won't keep you any longer. Uh, but Tommy, I, you know, I get a lot of requests like this. Yes, sir. I hardly do any of them. But something uh, I think, looking back now, as the Lord said, go ahead and do it. You'll enjoy this. So it's, I think it's a, not only uh, for your listeners, and I wish you well, but also for you. Yes, sir. So uh, who do we have? What, where is our faith? Is our faith in ourselves? Is our faith in our country? Is our faith in our money? Is our faith in our health? Uh, all of those are going to vanish uh, at certain delay or disappoint us. Yes, sir. But Jesus never will. Yes, sir. And uh, he is always with us no matter what we do. He loves us. He said he died, died for you. Nothing we can do uh, will separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus, unless we just abandon ship. Yes. You know? and, uh, but uh, I've discovered that even in in the trials and troubles of life, which we've had many in the last 40 years, and, uh, as I, I, with our walk with God, it's not guaranteed that, uh, that we're going to have trouble-free life, but it is guaranteed that he's going to be with us. Yes. And the peace of God that passes all understanding can rule in our hearts if we just keep focused on the object of our faith, yes. which is Jesus. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not guaranteed it will be easy. It's what a beautiful full circle, JFK. You know, asked yeah. to be stronger men, not for easier lives. Yeah. But before before I go, I have to. I saw so I saw a one minute video with you, and it's a it's Charlie Duke uh, responds to someone asking about uh, fake moon landing conspiracy theorists, and it was the <laughs> best answer I've ever seen. You said, you know. You can go to nas.gov. You can go. They have the uh, they have the orbiter photos, and, and it's overlaid onto the video. And it's you can zoom in. You can see the landing zone. You can see you know where the rockets went off. You can see the rover. You can see the instruments. And you go, if we were to fake it, you go, okay, all right, let's let's entertain that. If we were to fake it, okay, I get it. You know, beat the Soviets, sure. Why would we fake it nine times? And then you go, <laughs> you go, and if you look at those pictures, those are all up there. Someone put them up there that was me and the video ends i watched it I, I must have looked like an idiot i was cheering in my bathroom at two in the morning i was like yes you someone put them up there and you pause that was me and i was just like charlie duke yeah so yeah i was uh i'm sure i woke my parents up at like three in the morning but i was cheering in my bathroom last night so uh, uh but yeah so thank you for your time sir um well, i wish Tommy with your podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, God bless and thank you for the conversation, sir. And thank you for everything you've done for this country and for being an inspiration to everyone. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless.